me stupid It makes me feel like you don't think I'm smart But just because you say you're not into it Why do you have to tear it all apart? Just because it's stupid don't mean it's not art Hello there. My name is Jordan White, and welcome to Cast and Wax. Uh, unfortunately, th- we have a, we have a really jam packed show. I know I say that all the time, but this time it's so super true that we we had such a limited amount of resources to to do for the, the intro spaces that I had to take. We, we had like about thirty minutes too much stuff, so I had to edit it down. So this is the edited version of the uh, the, the introduction. So as I said, my name is Jordan White, and um, this is my co-host, and my other co-host, known extra historian, Mr. Rory Sinjin, and we are here to introduce. First up, we have a section of our show we like to call. Watch which scape sings the theme song to. All right, let's get right to it. First up, we've got a letter again responding to recent watch episodes. Uh, it's to Rory. Mr. Sinjin, against the advice of myself and the rest of his legal counsel, my client Frank Allen of Allen Industries has declined to pursue a slander case at this time for your comments in last week's Cast in Wax podcast, wherein you implied that he was going to commit a crime at some unspecified point in the future. He has, however, asked that a cease and desist order be drafted to discourage you from making such frivolous comments again. Mr. Allen is a respectable businessman and remarks besmirching his character could be damaging to his enterprise. Truly a man convicted of lying in a court of law should choose his words more carefully. It is my sincere hope that I am not required to contact you again. On a personal note, Mr. White, I am a quite a fan of your scary stories and would love to hear my personal favorite, The Hounds of Tindalos, on a later podcast. As a cat yourself... Oh, I guess by Mr. White he meant scapey. I thought he was talking to me. As a cat yourself, I can imagine a story of evil monster dogs might ring especially true. Sincerely, James Brosnan, Brosnan Pierce, and Bob. I don't know about this dog thing. I, I think dogs are pretty terrible, so I think... Alright, then I guess I'll, I'll you do that story. That sounds pretty good. Good, Skate. Uh, now, well, Rory, uh, you said that you, I mean, you did sort of drop the thing that Frank was going to commit a crime last episode. What, what do you What do you think about this? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I do believe that Frank Allen is completely innocent and he absolutely will, not necessarily, commit a crime if you believe me because I, I think that it's true. Frankly, there's nothing you can do to make me say he's, he's just a bad person because it's not true. So what is going on with Frank Allen, uh, Rory? What, what, you, this is your where you're supposed to update us. Oh, well, listen to this. You're, you'll like this, especially given what he's been saying about us, he took such a huge sum of money and, and he decided to spend it on a whole bunch of different things, which completely failed, left him... Well, I don't know exactly how much money he's got left, but it's not a whole lot. Wow, that's really surprising. Yes, and the most surprising part is... Oh, that is pretty interesting. Well, frankly, I think he deserves it, because once I don't really like him very much. Well, nobody does, nobody does. So let's get right to our first episode. Uh, up first, we've got Guard Duty. In the last episode of Guard Duty, we heard learned that the Earth Guard was on strike, and then now we're going to hear them coming back to negotiate some more. Hope you enjoy it. The Earth Guard, the planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. To that end, the Guard takes shifts monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of Guard Duty. This week, 
the stallion in back to the table. Good afternoon, Mr. Stallion. Grant, shall we sit? Please, thank you. So? Yes? I called off the strike. Excellent. So, you said once the strike was called off, you'd enter back into negotiations. Yes, yes, and and here we are. And I assumed you'd be bringing a proposal? Of course. I would propose that we go back to the way things were before the strike and pretend none of this ever happened. What? You've got to be kidding me! I wouldn't kid you. Not about this. You saw what happened out there. You were disgraced. You had no public support. They looked at you as traitors. You had no choice but to call off the strike. Oh, really? So why would I even consider giving you anything you demand? It was a clear victory on my part. My machine was able to spin events our way. You people didn't even bother making a statement. In the court of public opinion, you bastards were tried and hung while we came off scot-free. You've got a thing or two to learn about the guard. Oh, yes? Please teach me. We don't do this for the public's adoration. We do it because it's right. We couldn't give two spits how we look in the public opinion. As you're so fond of pointing out, we're not the ones who have to get elected. You are. You can make us look however you want to. We fight for what's right because we believe in it. Oh, yes, you're so damned idealistic that it hurts, hence the desperate need for medical care, right? If you're all about what's right, what do you need the government's collaboration for? A relationship with you benefits us, sure, but it benefits you as well, possibly even more. Clearly you learn nothing from the strike. On the contrary, I learned quite a bit. I learned that you really are as naive and goody-goody as you claim to be, which is why you're going back to work with no additional coverage. And thank your lucky goddamn stars that I haven't taken more from you. You can't help yourselves. Then you're a fool. The lesson of the strike was this. You need us desperately. You're right about one thing. We don't want to see people get hurt. We came in and saved all those folks from a tractor. And if we hadn't, what would you have done? You had exactly zero chance of taking him down without people dying. Let's say for a moment that we disbanded, or we go on strike indefinitely. You'd never dare. Let's say we did. How many times do you think the public would blame us for the innocent deaths before they started thinking maybe they should cover our health care, if it means bringing us back? How long before they decide they might want to elect officials who will keep them safe? You couldn't. There's no way you'd allow that many people to die. Then what if the Guard and the American government parted ways? You don't seem happy funding us. Maybe you'd feel better if we were all on our own. Then we could go back to saving people on a regular basis, winning the adoration of the public, and you people wouldn't be able to claim any of that glory for yourselves. I always thought you liked being able to say the U.S. government was helping to protect their people. Of course, if we didn't take your funding, I suppose we could feel free to criticize you whenever we wanted to. We could let the public know you were helpless to defend them. Do you think they would side with the helpless government, or the people who actually protect them? You mean a choice between their elected government and showboating, unpatriotic traitors. All right. If you'd like, we could explore that possibility. We'll go our way. You go yours. See who does better. I know I wouldn't want to make enemies with the planet's most powerful heroes, but that's just me. If that's what it takes to put you in your place, so be it. I have full authority in this case. The President and Congress have both put full faith in my abilities in this matter, and they will support me whatever decision I make. Even if it means cutting the guard loose? Even so. Well, I suppose you do have a record of doing that now, cutting people loose. What are you babbling about? At the powerhouse. 
They couldn't even hold a tractor for one measly day after we went to all the trouble of capturing him. I have nothing to do with the powerhouse. Oh, I'm sorry. I could have sworn Well, then that... you're mistaken. Hmm. Well, that's certainly a good thing for you. Him getting out was a pretty monumental screw-up. He's a Class A villain, and we'd put a priority warning on his detainment papers. See? I assume that's standard. What's the point of all this? Of course it's standard. He's a very deadly villain. Class A. Has to be kept in a special power-dampening cell. And whenever a Class A is being transferred anywhere, one of the Earth Guard is always present. I guess that's something else that would stop if we weren't working with the government. Is that supposed to scare me? It scares me, I must say. In fact, take a look. It seems the reason a tractor escaped was that he was being transferred without one of us present. Here's the emergency transfer order from the evening we called the strike. Where did you get that? I've always fancied myself something of a detective, and I had nothing better to do during the past few days, did I? Being on strike gave me a lot of time to look into things I wouldn't usually get around to. You see here? Thompson, who wrote this memo, says they've received orders to put in an emergency transfer, but his boss has no record of requesting the transfer. Thompson's phone records show he talked to two people that night, his wife and Ed Miller. Now, I'm assuming his wife didn't order a prisoner transferred, so I checked into Ed Miller. You know Ed. He works in your office, right? This is completely illegally obtained and admissible. Not in the court of public opinion, it's not. And if you thought that was illegal, wait till you see this. The only thing more illegal than me having hacked Eddie's email is what this one seems to imply. I'd wait for you to read it, but it appears you wrote it. Warren Grant at OSHA.NSA.gov. That's you, right? You're gonna blackmail me. Let me see. We need to assure there's an event as soon as possible. Show these people we have them where we want them, etc., etc. Arrange an emergency Class A transfer ASAP. Blackmail wouldn't work, right? I think everyone will understand you did what you had to to put us superheroes in our place. There's nothing to blackmail. What do you want? I think you know. Full restoration of the more provisions and official recognition of the Earth Guard Charter as binding. I can't just back down like that. The president- He has full faith in your abilities in this matter. He will support whatever decision you make. Questions will be raised about my- So you resign. Come to think of it, that's one of our terms as well. More provisions, Earth Guard Charter, and your resignation. I like it. Of course. If the government's going to recognize the Charter, you'd have to abide by it as well. Of course. We always do. So, the Jack is being removed from the Guard? What? It's a right in the strike section. Any member of the Guard found to have broken a strike will be removed from the team. No, the Jack... He didn't break the strike. I called it off. He was the first on the scene. Really? Before Dr. Fast? That's odd. Not to mention the Jack appeared on the scene live on television a full minute before your communication came over the guard communicators. The Jack is a member of my team. I'm standing behind him. Even when he goes against the guard. Excellent. Then we'll have no trouble. The government can recognize your charter and then show that the guard does not. It will be thrown out in a week to be replaced with a new one, which we can insist we have a hand in drafting. Sounds like a plan. Why are you doing this? Why the Jack? You've got me in a corner. You expect me not to bite? I'll take what I can get. Hey, 
Uh, Stallion. Yo, you there, Stallion? Is this an emergency? Yeah, I think so. I mean... What is it, Mr. Fahrenheit? Uh, are we on or what? Because Disastrous is over in Brooklyn, and it looks like she wants to start something. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go at it or what. What do you say, Stallion? Are you on? We're on the job. Put out a call. All right. Attention, Earth Guard. Disastrous. Blah, 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 blah. Brooklyn. Blah, 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 blah. I think you get the point. Let's kick some ass. Mr. Fahrenheit, out. So we have a deal? You'll return all the more provisions and recognize the charter. And I'll resign first thing tomorrow morning. Oh, and I'll take those little trifles with me if you don't mind. All you have to do is lose the jack. Congratulations, Stallion. It looks like you made out quite nicely. I'd say it's been a pleasure, but I'd hate to give the impression that I think you're any better than the scum you fight. The feeling's mutual. Good day, sir. <sighs> is it? Jordan D. White, with Michael D. Murkowski as the narrator, Rich Bellin as the stallion, Jacob Thompson as Warren Grant, with theme song by Michael D. Murkowski. All right, that was guard duty. And you know, let's get right to this day in history with Mr. Roy Sinjin. Rory, what was happening on this day in historical fact? Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on January 26th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy appoints Janet Travell as his personal physician, making her the first woman in history to hold the post? If you know what I mean. New presidential position, I, President John F. Kennedy, am suffering from two dilemmas. The first, of course, is that I need to take the edge off my bitter and miserable existence. The second is that I am kind of cold. Can you please prescribe me some alcohol for this? Yes! Mr. President, you realize that's not a physician you're speaking with, but rather a cocktail waitress. Which of us is the president and which of us is you, interrupt us. I will indeed consult whoever I wish as my physician, you, cocktail waitress. Yes? That martini prescription you were so good as to give me. Coming right up, delightful. Mr. President. Double delightful. At last, I've cornered you, John F. Kennedy. I, Victor Freeze, will end your existence now. Taste cold, bitter death. Freezing sound. This is unpleasant. The martinis are not hell. I guess I shouldn't have served him that, because apparently the president didn't realize that alcohol doesn't make you warmer. It actually makes you more susceptible to cold. Quite right, my dear. And coincidentally, from that day forward, Batman was never seen again. I don't know what that means. But had John F. Kennedy known this thing that they told us about alcohol, which was very true and important, then we never would have been subjected to the debacle that was the Freeze administration. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. 
Freeze right there. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Guest Wax. And yes, when Mr. Freeze did become president, his first act was to douse the entire United States in alcohol, thus making it more susceptible to cold. The bulk of the American people did think it was going to make them warmer, and so they drank it right up, they lapped it up in the streets. Only the teetotalers were left alive when Victor Freeze finished his reign of terror. And the teetotalers said, We do not drink, and therefore we were not extra susceptible to the cold. When he said, I, Victor Freeze, will kill you all still, and he just froze them. I mean, the fact is, the freeze ray kills you anyway. But then he was president of the United States of America, and I did say it was it was it was a scandal-ridden administration because, in fact, uh, it had no people, and and that was the first time I believe in American history. I have to double-check my facts that it ever had been that the president was the only person in the United States of America, uh, and therefore it really disrupted the balance of power. You know, the Supreme Courts and the Congress were powerless to stop him from doing anything he wanted to. If everyone had realized that they shouldn't have been drinking alcohol when fighting a, a freeze-based villain, I mean, realistically speaking, yes, like I said, a freeze ray would have killed him anyway. But maybe they would have had their wits about them. His alcohol is also an inebriant, I don't know if you realize. So, my name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Caston Wax. Rory, I don't know how many times I have to say, fact is that just isn't true. Well, it is, if you know it isn't. Ah, but you're forgetting that completely run by robots. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. And speaking of Frank Allen, uh, we do have next up Debatatorium, which is his part of the show. It's the part where I hope you all enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Debatatorium 2007. My name is Frank Allen and this is the uh, amazing second episode of this program. We have an exciting show lined up. We, as always, are going to be debating some hot button issues and it's going to be great. We're going to have two debaters and then there's going to be a number of experts who chime in on things and hopefully we will decide this issue once and for all. Now let me introduce the two debaters uh, here. Uh, debater number one, please introduce yourself. My name is Richard Lepkowski, a.k.a. Perfect Pitch, head of the Binghamton Superheroes Department. Welcome, welcome. Now, you said the Binghamton Superheroes Department? That's what I said, yes. As in, uh, I'm sorry, is, like, is that the uh, part of the town government, or? It's part of the state government. State government, okay. It's sort of part of the state government. They don't treat us like it, but nonetheless, I've been invited to appear here without pay. Now, what? What? Now, what's the name of your organization? <sighs> the, I'm the New York State Superheroes Department. The uh, more powerful heroes are in the bigger cities, and then there are towns in the ad- towns smaller than Syracuse. The heroes don't get paid, interestingly enough. That was after 9-11. All right, and I'm sorry, one more time, your name? Rich Lovkowski. Lovkowski? My professional name is Perfect Pitch. Should I call you Lovkowski or Perfect Pitch? Perfect Pitch. Thank perfect you very pitch. much. All right, Perfect Pitch. And uh, debater number two. Hi. Hello. Um, introduce yourself. My name's Bridget. Oh, good. This is um, Bridget. Now, we met uh, a year, last year, I should say, not a year ago, but last year. Yep. You talked about a bat. Yep. Um, now, t- tell us about yourself. I live on a farm. Okay. And what are your qualifications as a debater? I, I called in and and I got the address for this place and I showed up and they put me in this little room and handed me a microphone. Did someone did someone cancel did someone cancel on us? Okay. Um well thank you for thank you for coming out, uh Bridget. Now You're welcome. Hopefully uh hopefully they checked with you. This is a topic I believe both of you are familiar with. Uh tonight we're gonna be debating the validity of uh racial profiling. And as I'm sure everybody knows, uh Bridget believes that racial profiling is absolutely right to be used as a tool in law enforcement, and uh Perfect Pitch believes racial profiling is not r- the right thing to do. Perfect Pitch, why don't you tell us why it's it's not right to racially profile? Well, 
criminals. I've, I've worked with a lot of criminals. I'm sorry, you've worked with criminals? Well, there was a brief time where I turned to uh, evil because I wasn't paid by the state. But the less we go into that, the better, okay? Okay. I'm actually forbi- forbidden from talking about it. All right. But, uh... I've dealt with a lot of the scum of society, uh, both the scum of society inside this room and outside the room, but I guess I gotta protect everybody, you know? And, uh, basically, I found that, uh, at least in the city of Binghamton, no particular racial group is more evil than the others. And also, you know, there aren't a whole lot of minorities in Binghamton that I've found so far that I've had to work with. So it hasn't come up with me. If I had to do racial profiling, that would just kill all my time. And I have to work part-time as a cabbie to make ends meet anyway. So you're a cab driver, crime, yes. crime fighter. Right. I, it's about 90% uh, cab driving, 10% crime fighting. At Which one point. trumps? Which one trumps? It depends if the bill's got to get paid, Frank Allen. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, now... Uh, Bridget, he's, yeah. he's given us a compelling argument why racial profiling is wrong. What do you say? Well, I, I think it's right. Why is that? Because, well, down on the farm, we got uh, we got the Negroes, and and they live down at the bottom of the mountain, and where where the town is, and the, there's lots of crime in town. So if you're gonna if you're gonna check someone out, you should probably start there. Well, now are they performing the crime? Probably. That's what my pa says. But you don't. You've never seen them performing the crimes. Yeah, I do. I saw one snatch a woman's purse once. One time. Once. Have yeah. you ever seen anyone who? Well, I've only been to town once. That was the only time you ever went to town. Yep. Until now. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever broken the law? No. Okay. We don't have many laws up on top of the mountain because cause it's just me and my ma. You have a farm on top path. of a mountain? Yep. What but do you it's farm? more like a hill. What do you farm? I farm goats. You grow goats? Yep. Okay. Is that a superpower, Bridget? That sounds like something that should not be. I don't have no superpowers. No, I thought what town were... are you from? The, the the one down at the bottom of the mountain. Okay. And know... I'm not from the town. I'm from my farm on top of the mountain. All right. I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Well, no, hold on. Hold on. Both, <sighs> both debaters, I, I want to say. Now, you've both mentioned, well... Uh, Perfect Pitch, you mentioned uh, Binghamton not having a lot of diversity, and you mentioned uh, why you think racial profiling is right, but you guys haven't talked about what I think is the most common instance nowadays, which is that the, the argument is made that uh, the terrorists are are Muslims, and therefore to profile against people who appear racially to be Muslim. We don't have Muslims. We run them out after- You, you after run them the, out of town? Yeah. After the airplane and the building and the crash thing. Okay. We, we run all the Muslims out because th- we didn't want them to knock down our town. Uh, well, <laughs> I think we have a uh, uh, okay. expert. Oh no, no, you want to say something? Perfect pitch. Well, I was going to. I was just going to answer your question. That's please. all. I think you know. Um, cities in New York, which of course think they're the greatest cities in the world because they get to be paid there and they don't have to drive cabs. <laughs> they have. They have superheroes there like Spider-Man and the late Captain Astounding. And you know what? These people were capable. These people can capture anybody. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter if you're an Arab or if you're a Caucasian or or um, whatever they call Italians. It doesn't really matter. Spider-Man's going to lasso you. Captain Astounding is going to do whatever he does. I hate talking to that guy. So I haven't ever listened to his boast, but those guys are more than capable of handling anything. 
anything. They can stop an asteroid. They can stop any particular person. So therefore, racial profiling is irrelevant. Okay. That's no, that's a good point. Well, well, we thank do, you. We do have an expert who wanted to talk about this issue. Please. Hello. Uh, I'm Janine Fenderson. Hello, Miss Fenderson. Hello. I am a uh, former security officer, uh, airport security officer in the great okay. uh, city of New York. Oh, welcome. Uh, I'm calling in to attest to the efficiency of racial profiling. In, in what way? Uh, in the many years that I was a security officer, uh, racial profiling was the most efficient way to track down villains and enemies of uh, America. Uh, I, I witnessed many, many circumstances of people being brought in because uh, we tracked them down very quickly due to racial profiling. And I would like to say also that uh, one particular instance, one particular detail that really helps this case is that uh, I actually actually misunderstood the racial profiling program and was tracking down Caucasian people for quite some time, um, and in doing so brought in many, many drug users, sellers, and lords. Oh, okay. So you're saying, I'm sorry, so you're saying that racial profiling should be used uh, in order to not investigate minorities. No, it should be used to track down anybody who might be an enemy of America. It just so happens that in this case, tracking down Caucasians also worked as well. The system is efficient and wonderful no matter how it is used. Okay, so, oh, I think I, now I think I understand. So you're saying racial profiling should be used, but instead of just profiling one race, it should look for anyone of All any of race. All of them, yes. Ah, that's very inclusive. <laughs> so that way, anyone who walks up will be flagged. Exactly. Okay, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, what did you want to say? Anybody want to, uh, Bridget, do you? feel the same no well no she's supporting you really no she she's saying that the caucasians are doing all sorts of law breaking too and i don't think they are why not i never seen it happen and my pappy never told me about it well so let me just say this i think you have seen it happen because it is my understanding that you had a brother yes what happened to this brother he got bit by a bat and uh it was a rabid bat was it not yeah. And so your brother- We ate it. And, well, you ate the bat, yes. No, but did, did, and your brother died, right? Yep. And what did you do with his body? We threw it in the river. That, my friend, is against the law. I don't know what laws you're looking at. The ones that say don't throw bodies in rivers. Really? I, am, I, am I right on this, Perfect Pitch? I don't know the laws. I just enforce them. What? <laughs> I, oh, I'm a little... What did I say that was funny? I'm a little astounded, that's all. Syracuse! <laughs> all right, well, you'll have to take my word, both of you, that it is... My understanding is it's against the law to dispose of bodies in public rivers. It oh. wasn't no public river. My pappy owns that land. It sounds like a bad idea. I mean, superheroes... Because I don't know, so superheroes aren't even allowed to kill people in general, no matter how good our reasons. So it's not like we haven't have a chance to dispose them into water and dump them in the river. Susquehanna is a dump anyway. Way. Dead body would just make it cleaner. It won't. Uh, not technically, no. Because a dead body would have, you know, germs that weren't already in there, presumably. I know dead bodies have germs. You know. Anyway. All right. Well, now, do you? What do you think of Miss? Oh, I forget her name. Her name's Bridget no, Fenderson. Miss Fenderson's uh, idea about uh, racial profiling being good if you profile for everyone. Uh. It doesn't sound like the most efficient idea in the world. I wouldn't want to uh, wait in an airport that was practicing this, but... Can you you not fly on your own? Uh, I have some power over acoustics. Okay, but so that doesn't make you fly? No. I mean, one of my colleagues has the ability to cook delicious food. That's her superpower. That's a superpower? Anything she cooks is good. Uh, I have... Well, I can see why the government wouldn't pay her for that. 
you know, everyone, you know, there, there are a lot of minor superheroes and supervillains. A lot of people don't know about like evil Sir Paul McCartney doesn't get a whole lot of press. Well, what but, does he do? Just write bad music? Or? Yeah, he has the power. Nothing he writes is ever sounds good. Oh, may I may I respond to that? You may, please. Mr. Perfect Pitch, you, you complained a little bit about waiting. Waiting. Yes. What if you were going to get on an airplane with somebody who had lots of drugs and explosives and they were going to blow up the plane and because of racial profiling, we stopped them? Well, if they're going to blow up the plane, why did they bring drugs? To take before they blew it up. Well, okay. Um, that's, I don't know. If they were just, you make it sound like they're just carrying explosives strapped around their waists and they have... No, if that were the case, we wouldn't have to wait. We would just find them. Right, right. They'd pretty much be confessing. I'm talking about the people who hide them very well. I enjoy being not blown up more than being blown up. Well, there you go. Yeah. So is it worth your time? Is it worth my time? I don't know. I haven't left the Binghamton area in seven years, so I don't get out much. So for my personal interest, it doesn't matter that much. And I'm kind of vaguely resentful about New York City, so... Well, you could fly to somewhere else. I could. Although you might have to go there as a hub. I don't know. Oh, well... We, we do have some other callers, I think, who did want to comment on this, so let me uh, go to one of my other experts here. <sighs> Hi, Frank. Uh, big fan of the show. Hi. Uh, please introduce yourself. Oh, all right. Um, I'm, I'm no, uh, no, nobody really special. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Are you okay? <sighs> Not really. It's it's. Who is this? It's, it's Who? My name's Dylan. Dylan Smith, and um, I hold the world's record for the most failed suicide bombs. I'm sorry. You are a suicide bomber. Not yet. I've tried a lot, though. What? What stopped you? It's just. I don't know. I just can't get it right. I don't know why. I last week. I tried to blow up a bank, okay? Right. So I went there and I I, I started crying because I didn't feel like I was worth it, you know? You weren't worth... You, you know, like the reputation of a suicide bomber. It takes a lot of guts to do that. And I just didn't feel like, like I was special enough. Oh. So I waited for a while, and then I then I finally got the guts to do it, and I pushed the button, and the bomb didn't go off. It, the battery died. Oh, because you waited too long. Yeah. So then mm. I, I had to go into the utility closet, and I had to get a ladder, okay? And I banged my head on some stuff, and then- I'm sorry. What did you need a ladder for? Well, I needed to get a get a battery, so I tried to take it out of the fire alarm in the ceiling. Oh. And then I ended up falling off the ladder, and I threw my back out, and I, I I've just been- Rough shape this week. Every time I wake up in the morning, I have to do stretches. Now, I have two questions that are pretty important to our topic here. First of all, what is what is the cause that you're trying to blow up places for? Well, I just want to belong. You're trying to blow stuff up in favor of belonging. Yeah. I mean, every time I turn on the news, there's all these people. They make playing cards for you, Frank. I want to be on a playing card, and I don't want to be the Joker anymore. Oh. And, well, the, the, other, <laughs> the other important question is what... <laughs> What's your ethnicity? What does that have to do with anything? Well, what race are you? My name's Dylan Smith. Who, what race do you think I am? Well, it could be a fake name. No, it's it, that really is. It's not my like Islamic name or anything. I'm really Dylan Smith. That's your real I, name? Yes, and I'm white. Okay, now, I understand we do have law enforcement people listening to the show, so hopefully they'll act on that. I was going to ask former, you a question. Former are you law local? enforcement. No, no. You're not local? Good, then it's not my problem. I'm from the Pittsburgh area. Pittsburgh area, okay. But it's not like it matters anyways. I mean, they, they, they come to my house and they just kind of laugh at me and take pictures and they make videos and put it up on YouTube laughing at me. <laughs> Mister, how do you all get bombs into a bank? Wouldn't they, like, arrest you or something? Well, okay, so it wasn't really so much a bomb. I just... <sighs> I took a bunch of lighters, okay, and I just thought that if I had enough lighters and lit them on fire, it would blow up the bank. <laughs> How could you light them all on fire at once? Well, I, f I forgot that you have to save a lighter to actually light the other lighters. What? You don't make sense. I don't understand. And what is it? How does that have a battery? I don't. I don't get it. 
All right. Well, listen. I told you I'm not very good at this. Okay, I'm really trying, Mr. Smith. All right. Well, let me let me just say, Bridget. Yes. Mr. Smith is supporting Perfect Pitch's argument because he's a he's a Caucasian man. He's trying to blow up buildings, and he's well, he's failing. But, but he still, hasn't. Well, but he's trying. I don't think he's gonna. It's the thought. see. He's it's, not a danger to society because he's tried all these times and he hasn't succeeded. So there's no reason to be pulling him over on the highway and asking questions well, don't you when think, he ain't no harm to nobody but himself. Don't you think it's the thought that counts? No. 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 So if he tried to come and like get rid of all your goats, but d- didn't do it, you would be like, "Well, I'm not. I'm not angry because he didn't do it." Yeah. Okay. Well, if you need a new target, Mr. Smith, she doesn't mind if you try her place. Uh, you know... Can I have your business card? What's that? Perfect pitch, you wanted to say? I don't know. This, this, guy, this guy reminds me of a colleague of mine. I draw... And I hate that guy, so even though he's backing up my argument, it's making me want to destroy myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think I know what you mean, but I don't know why... Why I said it? Yeah, because it sort of is it's- helping you destroy yourself in the argument, anyway. Oh, <laughs> what a metaphor. Okay. Well, I, I think my case is pretty much proven because I'm arguing against Bridget. Well, you but, know what kind of superheroes have been sent to Bridget's area? What kind? None. Oh. They're not, it's not we worth- We don't need superheroes. Yeah, because it's not worth defending. Well, apparently you've got crime. You said you saw crime yourself. Yep. Well, once I blow up those goats, there'll be lots of superheroes. Just you wait and see. <laughs> you actually hurt my goats, I'll shoot you in the face. That's also against the law. Both of these things are against the law. I'm a suicide bomber, you idiot. <laughs> That's true. If, if he does kill your goats, he'd be dead. That's all right. I'll still shoot you in the face. I don't think he'll have a face. He might. If you can find it. Then I'll it. shoot him somewhere else. On the farm. Yes. All right. Well, I think we have one more expert who did want to get in a word on this uh, topic, and hopefully we'll see if you guys can respond to that. Woohoo! Yeah! All right, racing fans. I hope you're all excited. It's me, Rodimus Jefferson, the greatest race star named after the greatest racer of all time. Woo! All right. Well, it's good to it's good to have you on the show. Uh, now I've uh, got to say, Frank. Yeah. I am pro racial profiling and i will tell you why why is that because many races are not worth my time okay you're talking about the race the race track races exactly this is a racing program right well that's we're talking about race this time yes so zoom zoom what makes a race better than another race well you gotta factor in a number of different things all right this is what my agent told me one is the uh the first place prize so how much money the race yes, has yes yes uh, exposure because there are some races where the uh the cup is not worth very much but uh, the size of the a, cup. Lot, a lot of people are there and it will give you good coverage so basically uh Races with more money and a bigger cup. Well, no, there's more. There's more. Oh, there's more. Sometimes there are a lot of the beautiful women there, and I've been told I should race at these races because I might get like some kind of endorsement deal. So, so races with more money, bigger cups, and better looking women. Well, yeah, but by cup, I mean I mean trophy. Oh, okay. Not like a big gulp. Oh, all right, all right. Mm, delicious big gulp. Well, all right. Thirsty? Got to take a drink. Do you, well, uh, I don't. But in oh. the gr- in the green room afterwards, you can get some. So now, uh, perfect pitch. Yes. He's, he's saying it's important to his career that he only associates with races it's that have money. It's important to every race car driver's career, not just the great ones like me, Rodimus Jefferson, the greatest race car driver named after the greatest race okay. car driver, so he Rodimus only, Prime. He should only uh, associate with races that have a lot of money and beautiful women. Well, when I enter the uh, the taxicab drag drag races in Binghamton... Is that a challenge? You know, I'll race you right here. No, you, you can't race him here. There's no cars in here. It's not, oh. a, it's not a high-profile race. This 
area is the pits. There's- yeah, but you're a superhero. That can be good coverage. That's what my agent just told me. Oh, God, I want to kill myself. Okay, your, your agent works fast. Anyhow... The Binghamton, some Binghamton taxi cab, cab races are, one of them is legal, so that's good to participate in that one. The other ones are, are criminal races that are highly dangerous that I'm not allowed to, to participate in, or else I'd lose my right to fight crime, whatever that's worth. So you're admitting that some races are more dangerous than others? Not to a skilled driver, Frank. So, so then why discriminate? For the prize potential and the coverage, mainly the endorsement possibilities. You know, That's what I have to be concerned about for the future of all of my children. Here's some math, Frank. If there's a race that's worth $250,000, and then there's another race, say in Bridgetstown, yeah. where the prize is a chicken with cholera. I was the trophy queen at last year's goat races. Right. If, so if you could participate in Bridget's goat race. I did not go to that race. My agent told me it was a bad idea, so I stayed away. Or the Indy 500. Did you go to that one? Yeah, did you? Oh, I won. Oh, well done. Congratulations. Four times in a row. You'd go to the Indy 500. Point proven. Oh, well, that, no, but that means racial profiling is good. Right, with car races, but we were talking about crime fighting, you idiot. Bridget, do you have a Racers comment on this? know a lot about crime fighting. A friend of mine, Speed, used to break up crimes all the time. Well, yeah, I've heard about him. I only knew his brother, Racer X. I heard that lots of people die at car races. That must mean that there's lots of murderers around them to, to kill them all. But we don't have none of that in my town. If I could take that point. Please. The, o- the only murderers are those vile Earnhardts. One of them whoa, is dead. Whoa, okay. Now, uh, Rodimus, I believe uh, before I'm going to have to let Rodimus you go. Rodimus Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson, if you want to get in your plug, I know you're appearing this weekend, right? That's right. Please. At the uh, Duplex Showbox Derby down the street. Thank you. Building Thank you. my way up. So I hope to see you all there. Please buy my shirt. Do you have any superpowers, Rodimus? The superpower of fantastic racing. That's actually real power. No, of course. Yeah. Yes, because I'm a real racer. See you all there. See you there. Um, all right, so uh, we got to go into our closing arguments. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Perfect Pitch. Thank you. Please. Okay. Well, it's really good, good law enforcement will capture criminals and bad law enforcement won't. If Superman is on the case, it doesn't matter if you're eight feet tall, 64 feet tall, six inches tall, black, white, Native American, Creole, you're going to be captured by Superman. On the other hand, if the law enforcement is bad, say the law enforcement in whatever town Bridget has, say the dog that's in charge of catching criminals and has three arthritic legs... (laughs) It doesn't matter. Those criminals aren't going to be caught. Fortunately, there's no crime because that town is stupid, but it might even be better than Binghamton. I hate Binghamton. Well, that's uh, some strong words, both for the argument and against Binghamton. Bridget, what do you have to say? Closing arguments. First off, I'd like to point out that Mr. Pitch was wrong on several of his statements. We do have crime in my town. I told you I've seen it happen. Second off, we do have law enforcement, and it ain't no dog. It's a man, and he's got an office and a gun and handcuffs and a little jail cell. And we do have the ability to fight crime because, like I said, we done run all them Muslims out of town 
after that whole shindig with buildings and the airplanes. Okay. And our town's a better place for it. Better than? Better than it was before we run them out. Was there a whole lot of them? There was four. That's and, a lot. And, and, a, and a little one. Oh, like a baby? Yeah. Okay. And you really think it's better? How is it better? It's better because there's less crime. They were doing crimes? Yeah. Well, like what? They they was they was praying just some weird god and, and kneeling down well, all, all day. Well, I don't think that's talking in in the devil's language. I don't think that's actually against the law. Well, not not maybe not where man's you law. come from, it ain't. It's not against man's law, which is what we're talking about. I, I ain't a man here, son. Well, okay, that's you know technically accurate. All right, well let me uh, let me think about this for a little while because it's going to take a lot of thinking. Especially since I have to say that Bridget won, because she was compelling. Although, I must say, it wasn't just Bridget. It was also that other woman who called in. And I really, I think that she was right, that you should do racial profiling against all all people of all kinds so that everyone gets stopped. And also, um, you know, Mr. Rodimus Jefferson, who showed us. And you even admitted it, Mr. Pitch. Well, I was admitting it in the grounds of auto racing. Anyhow, I'll see you all on the street, and if you're criminals, and you're not too difficult to catch, I might try stopping you. Well, good night. Good night. Maybe you'll be back as a wild card. We'll have to see. And, uh, Bridget, if thank, I feel like thank it. You, if you, Mr. Feel like it. Thank you, Mr. Allen. You won. You get to go on to the next round. So you're going to have to come back to this this town. I will. Okay. We'll it's see nice you then. here. I'm glad you learned. There's it. all sorts of bright lights. There certainly are. There certainly, certainly are. Um, all right. Well, we'll see you all next time on Debatatorium 2007. My name is Frank Allen. Have a good night. That episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Guinevere Eckert, Patrick Ganan, Lynn Nelson, Jacob Thompson, Elijah Weberhan, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. And also, which brings us to scapey stories from A Cat in the Dark. Scape, you had Boo on the show with you today, correct? Uh, yeah, I did, which was very unfortunate because she... All right, let's get right to it. Scapey Stories from A Cat in the Dark. Hello, and welcome to Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White, and here with me is the host of the show, Mr. Scape White. Hello! And also the guest audience for the show, Miss Boo White. Hi, everybody! Hi, Boo. Hi, Scapey. Okay, you ready for a story? It's gonna be scary. I think I can handle it. I am the tougher cat of the house. No! I'm low. Alright, well, just wait, because this is gonna be scary, and you get scared, so... <laughs> this one is called The Black Cat by... Allen Poe. Oh, it's a story about kitties? Well, that's great. At least it's about us. Well, <laughs> just wait, because it's scary. Wait a minute, but I'm your black cat. Is it about me? You better hope not. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, so once upon a time, uh, Okay, everybody thinks that I'm crazy, but... No, Scabby, everyone's pretty sure that you're crazy. Well, uh, no, but everybody thinks that I'm crazy, but... With good reason. But I'm not, and I'm going to tell you the story because tomorrow I'm going to get killed. What? Boo, it's a story. Scabby, I I know we fight and you steal my moist food, but I don't want you to be killed. Who's going to kill you? We can kick, kick, kick. It's a story. I'm telling a scary story about I am... (laughs) 
People think I'm crazy, but I'm not, and they're gonna kill me tomorrow. Alright, listen. So I'll tell you what happened, okay? Well, uh, I used to be like a really gentle, gentle guy, and I really liked lots of animals. Dave, you hate animals. You hate everybody. Well, I used to be a really gentle guy. What happened? I'm telling you the story. Shut up! Jeez. Okay, used to be gentle, and I got married to a woman, and she was really gentle too. Well, ours is kind of, I mean, being a stuffed animal, she doesn't really have much of a choice. Boo! Yeah? Stop talking. I'm telling! Stop talking! Okay, so my wife and I, we had a lot of pets, and um, I liked animals, so I was like, cool with that. And one of them was a cat. It was a black cat. And this was my favorite pet, okay? So his name Pluto, and I was like, I love Pluto. Uh, but the thing is, I started uh, drinking a lot, and basically, I was... Uh, a big jerk. Well, I'm not gonna dispute the big jerk thing, but I mean, you have to drink. If you don't drink, you get all, you get all dry. Well, I was, it made me really, really jerky and angry. And so I was drinking a lot and I was basically just started being mean to everybody and yelling and I would punch my wife maybe if I felt like it. And I was mean to everybody except to Pluto because I was really nice to Pluto. Oh, Cat. And so what happened was, uh, I just got, I was just getting meaner all the time. And eventually, I even started getting a little bit angry at Pluto. <laughs> and so one day, I was petting Pluto, and Pluto was like, cut it out, and tried to bite me, okay? And I was so mad that I just grabbed a knife, and I cut out his eyes. Slippy! Slippy, if, if your kitty doesn't want to be pet, just don't pet the kitty. What the hell is wrong with you? Wait, how did you hold a knife? I cut out, look, I just did and I cut out the cat's eye. But you have the little stubby cat paws that we've got. You can't possibly hold a knife. It's a story. Are you sure you didn't just scratch out its eyes or something? It's a story! Right, continue with your animal cruelty. And so I cut out his eye. And, uh, well, that, after that, the cat wasn't, didn't want to hang out with me so much. What the? Well, but whatever. So, and uh, the thing is, uh, then I, I, I felt a little guilty. Well, good, good. But... It, it kind of wore off, and, oh. and then, basically, I started to hate the cat a lot. Like, I was just like, oh, that stupid cat. It's, I am disgusted by that cat. And so, one day, eventually, I was just like, you know what I really shouldn't do? <laughs> I really shouldn't kill this cat. But I did. <laughs> and so, I was like... <laughs> scary, This is a horrible story. What are you saying? It's a scary story. It's to scare people. Scare them? Then what? You're going to hunt down their cats? Well, listen, so I took a, I took a rope, and I basically put a rope around the cat, and I hung it from a tree. That's right, this is like, this is a snuff story. Well, no, that would be, if I actually killed you, it would be snuff. I like to see you try. No, listen. Ah. No, just listen, it's a story. So I hung the cat, okay, Pluto was dead. But there's more. So then I, that night, my house caught on fire. And, uh, the house burned down and, uh, we got out, but the house burned down. And so I was like, that's weird. And all of the walls pretty much fell down, except for one wall didn't fall down. And it, people were like, that's weird, because it looks like, it looks like the image of a cat with a rope around its neck. And I was like, that's really scary. But then I thought about it and I went, no, probably what happened was, 
I just, somebody saw that my house was on fire and like, saw the dead cat hanging from the tree and so they cut it down and threw it through my window to try to wake me up so I would wake up and see my house on fire and I wouldn't, wouldn't burn. And then maybe like, some of the wall stuff like squished it and like, like left the image on the um, wall. This is the theory about the cat image on the wall. That someone decided instead of knocking on the door or the window, they would throw a dead cat into your house? What kind of neighbors do you have? Is this a normal behavior for them to throw dead things into your house when things are going wrong? Well, how else do you explain cat image? Alright, look. That's just, uh, it seems reasonable. Okay, so. Whatever. So what happens is, we move to a new house, and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, again, I, w- I started feeling really guilty about it. I was like, oh, you know, I probably shouldn't have killed my cat. That was kind of rotten. And so I've, I started thinking, all right, I wish I would get a new cat. Hmm. And so one day, I was in a really terrible, uh, naughty place of some sort. And, because I do bad stuff a, a lot. And I, f- I saw a cat. It was a black cat, but it had a white chest, a white spot on his chest. You're not allowed to have cats anymore. You said it yourself. You are a rotten, rotten person. But I saw this, no, because I saw this cat and I was like, that looks just like my old cat, except for the white part. I want to have this cat, so I started petting the cat, and the cat was like, oh, purr, purr, purr. And I was like, hey, person who owns this place, can I, can I buy this cat? And they were like, it's not my cat, I don't give a crap. So I took the cat with me home, and my wife was like, oh, that's a cute cat, oh. Black cats with white chest are the most beautiful kinds of cats in the whole world. I can see why she would fall instantly in love with such a Beautiful sounding cat. Well, whatever, but, because gray is better, but, so we were like, okay, nice cat, nice cat, whatever. Uh, but the thing is, like, after a couple of days, I was like, oh, God, I hate that cat so much. What the hell is wrong with you? Your, your brain is, like, it's broken. Your brain is broken. Well, look, it's not my fault. So I hated the cat. Sometimes you just hate things after a little while. So. No, no. People don't just hate things after a little while. They like the things they like, and they hate you, and the things that they hate. No, I just hated this cat. So, I was, like, walking around going, oh, freaking cat. Everywhere I go, cat. And it was terrible, because when I was awake, the cat would be, like, following me around and being like, oh, love me, love me. And then when I would go to sleep, I would wake up because the cat is, like, sitting on me and breathing hot cat breath on me, and it's like, oh, God, just... Stupid cat, wake me up. Cat is giving you affection. You should know about cats. You're a cat. You know when a cat comes and says, I love you, it's a very precious thing. But I hated this cat, okay? So time is passing. Do, 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 do. So you're like a self-hating cat. No, it's a different cat. Point is, time passes. And eventually, one day, I was going down the stairs into the cellar where I lived. And the cat's like, oh, I'll come. Do, do, do. And he jumps under my feet. And I, like, tripped and fell. So far, so good. And I was, it was, well, no. I was really angry. And I, so I just was like, oh, there's an axe. I'll grab the axe. And I was going to just chop the cat in half. Why are you outside of a mental institution? I'm not crazy. I said at the beginning. But. You're like an axe. 
Cats real did murder her. No, I was going to chop the cat. But I, I was stopped because my wife grabbed my arm and was like, what are you doing? Don't chop the cat. And so I was like really mad about that. I was like, how could she stop me? So I chopped her instead. I got right in her head. What? And then I was like, oh, huh. Now I got to figure out what I do with, with the body. So what I did was I was like, oh, there's kind of a crappy Y over there. I would just pull it down a little bit and then I would build, put her in and then build a new wall so she's stuck in the wall, the, the dead body. So she was inside the wall and I was like, all right, now, that's, by the way, now, that's it. I'm really killing this cat now because he's giving me all this trouble. I had to hide my wife's body. Cat is going to pay. So I was looking around and I, I'm like, I can't find the cat. Where is the stupid cat? Obviously, it's not a stupid cat. It's hiding from the axe-wielding monster. Well, I couldn't find it. So that night, I slept like the most peaceful sleep since I got the cat because I was like, oh, and they're so relaxing. Nice, nice. Your wife's corpse is in the wall and you're getting a good night's sleep over it? Yeah, it's fine. But, so I was like, well, maybe tomorrow or whatever. I'll work for the cat. But the next day, no cat. I was like, oh, maybe the cat is uh, wise to run away. <laughs> maybe I'll never see it again. Oh, this is good. And the third day, no cat, gone. And so the fourth day, the police came and they were like, we gotta search your house, sir. And I was like, okay, go ahead. I got nothing to hide. Have fun. Because I knew that I was like, they're never gonna find the body. It's fine. So they're looking in the house. Do, do, do. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, we don't see anything. Can we try the basement? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no problem. And they go down there and they were like, we don't see anything. Huh, we don't see anything. Weird. And uh, I was just like, yeah, there's nothing. This is a good old house. It's a nice, sturdy house. Well built. Good walls. Like, uh, sturdy walls. Solid, solid walls. Why would you start talking to me about the walls? Well, I was, because I was like, I was nervous. Uh, and I was like, oh, I had to say something. There was like sirens. Yeah, you're kind of a dumbass like that. No, I was just, I was, I was like, oh, it's good. It's solid. Well built house. Good, solid walls. And I like, patted on the wall that, that I put my wife inside of. I was like, pat, pat, pat. Uh, you know, just kind of like a right tapping. And uh, what happened was, the police were totally going to go, but after I patted on the walls, out of a sudden, you could hear a sound inside the walls, like, Oh, oh my God, you sealed the cat within the wall? Wait, so you're spoiling it. You're spoiling it. So then, the cops were like, what's going on? What's going on? And they came, and they were like, oh, there's a noise in the wall. What is this crazy noise? It sounds so sad. And it was like, wah, wah. And so they, they bring it on the wall, and they tear it down, and they find the dead body. And inside with the dead body was the cat. I had sealed the cat in the wall. That's why I'm in jail now, because I killed my wife. Oh, good. The end. Cat was such a scapey. I've never seen this monstrous side of you before. Boo, you are dumb. This is a story, like a fiction. So the moral of the story is that, what, if you're mean to cats, they will expose your evils? Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. Uh I, I, I wasn't really decided yet what it was. I don't think about it. Um, hmm. I think it's always been nice to cats or you're screwed. Because cats know the darkness in your heart. And they will also manipulate the world so that you go to jail. Okay, alright. Well. And cats are smarter than humans, obviously. Well, um, I think the scary moral is, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what it is. Cats will get you if you try to get them first. 
So, I, I'm more confused about, the, I mean, you had the earlier cat who got killed, and then you got the new cat who got in the wall, and you had that weird cat image in between. Were they supposed to be the same cat or something? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, they looked alike, and I did, I forgot that, I think, later, when I hated the second cat, I noticed that the white spot looked like the gallows. What's the gallows? I think it's where you hang people, like I hang the cat. Like you hang the cat from a tree. Well, yeah, but it's different. So it should look like a tree. Well, it didn't. But then it doesn't make sense. I'm not crazy. Yeah, you actually are kind of crazy. It's a story! Yeah, but we're done with the story, and you're still crazy. Okay, that, that's it. We're done. I think we're done. Okay, I guess we're done. Thanks, Boo. Can I get some treaties now? Yes, yes. Yay! Uh, me too. No, just me. And me. Just me. You always eat my treaties anyway. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for listening to Scapey Stories. Give me treaties. Scape, you were very mean to your sister. Well, she wouldn't shut up, and she kept saying stuff, so I was going to have to said, just relax, and uh, that was the best thing ever. All right, if that's what you say so. Up next, we have Epic Echoes, and if you remember, a large quantity of the Flash Pack was killed when, well, now we get to see what happened to them after they were dead. Enjoy. Echoes, the Backwards Series, Season 3, Episode 3, Into the Light, by Daniel Schwartz. How long the intrepid Max Thornfield remained unconscious, he couldn't say. His stomach only hurt for a few moments where Dralis had buried a monomolecular axe, and then there were no sensations of any kind before he awakened in an unfamiliar setting. What? Where am I? Tom? John? Benedict? I'm here, George. Where are the others? I'm here. Are you alright? I'm fine, Tom. But what's wrong with your voice? I don't know. Where's James? I'm here, Jimmy. Why are you talking like that? Like what? What are you talking about? We must be disoriented. Where are we? The last thing I remember is Dralis trying to cut me in half. What was she doing? She could have killed us. Uh, guys? The flash pack looked as one in the direction Molly indicated. They were standing on a promontory overlooking a vast canyon. Beneath a sky without color, countless millions milled and wandered, watched over by strange, many-armed figures. I think she did. What the physics is going on? Are we dead? I think so. That means this must be the Bardo. The what now? Did you never go to Sunday school, Sarah? Uh, there wasn't a good one near Mother's Estate. The Bardo is the afterlife, Keen. It's where souls go after death before they reincarnate. If we're here, Dralis must have killed us. Why would she do that? We're her friends. Those hemophagic horrors must have controlled her mind. Those jerks, when I get through with them. You can't do anything, Sarah. In a few days, all our memories will be gone and we'll be reborn on Earth. Maybe there's a way to get some help. Max pulled out a small round disc from his pocket, raised it over his head, and pressed its large green button. You think he'll come here? He's never let us down before. Max, that won't work. The dead can't contact the living from the Bardo. It's impossible. So that's it then? The end of the flashback slaughtered by one of their own? Not if I have anything to say about it. 
Molly, who do we talk to about going back? Uh, Max? We're dead. For real. No fooling. It's over. Bullcrap! We've had some bad times before, gang. We've faced down monsters and villains and the abstract concept of despair, and I will be damned if we're gonna stop now. Slaughter and Fertress are still out there, Drowse needs our help, and the whole universe is in peril from vampiros. I'm not giving up. Neither am I. That's three of us. <sighs> well then, I guess we'd better do this. That's right. Flashpack! Flashpack! Into the Valley of Death went the young adventurers, taking stock of their resources while they descended. It seemed that their various tools, instruments, and weapons had followed them into the world beyond. After pushing through the ranks of milling dead, they came to a female figure with many arms who was touching the spirits and whispering reassuringly. We'll want to start with her. Who's she? The Bodhisattva of Infinite Compassion. Ava... Avalo... Avalo... Yeah, her. Some kind of cosmic do-gooder? Sounds like just the person who can help us. Hello, Flashpack. Hello, gracious lady. It's an honor. I must say, I didn't expect you so soon. Um, actually, ma'am, we were hoping you could help us with that. Is there any way for us to get back to the world of the living as ourselves? Hmm, tricky. I'm afraid I can't tell you that. Then it's impossible. She didn't say that. Well-spotted Serakim, the one who can help you is far from here. Many days travel through the Bardo. Who is it? The master of skillful means. Vimala Kirti? He's passing through the Bardo between his lives. You will find him by the bridge over the vast and formless expanse. Be warned, however. It is easy to lose one's way in the land of death. Many thanks, Lady Looking Down. Only for a little longer, Molly Singh. When next I travel the world, it shall be Lord. And don't let your heart grow heavy. He feels much like you do. Huh? Um, wow. Thanks. Let's go. And so the Flashpack ventured forth in search of the Bodhisattva. Along the way, their talk turned from their current predicament to the matters of life. So once we get back, how are we going to defeat the Vampiros? Well, William said that Lucian was the progenitor of those Vampiros we killed back in the 40s. He and his wife Calliope are powerful, close to the Dread Emperor himself. If we can destroy them, we can take out a good chunk of the Empire in one stroke. Sounds like a plan. That Sir William's a pretty useful guy to have around. Yeah, he's real useful. <laughs> I'll bet. What's that supposed to mean? You go to pieces around him. All your crap about logic and reason. Then when he's around, you're all, Duh, 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 what noogie? I never use the word duh. Just nookie? <laughs> Shut up. I think it's kind of sweet, actually. None of us really date much, what, with saving the world and all. Thinking of striking out with someone special, Max? What, me? Uh, I don't know about that. Leading the flashback is a big job, and I have a lot of responsibilities. It's okay for Keen to get out more, but I don't know if I can spare the time. Oh, okay, you're probably right. A week of rough travel across rugged terrain found them at the edge of the vast and formless expanse. At the edge of the rocky ledge, they looked out over the void. What are those big holes? Many of the Hell Realms have openings into the expanse. There's the Hell of Fire, the Hell of Creeping Ice, the Hell of Waters. I thought they disproved Hell in the mid-2090s. One Hell, yes. But many Hell Realms exist for those who do evil. We should be careful near the expanse. Things aren't as solid and normal as we're used to. I think that's the bridge Guan Yin told us about. Another three days of traveling took the flashback to the bridge, where a man dressed in rags sat in the lotus position. His eyes were fixed on the ever-shifting horizon. This clown's the guy who can get us back to life. Sarah! That's Vimala Kirti! He's the master of skillful means, able to enlighten with a single sentence. If anybody can get us out of here, it's him. 
Jimmy, get his attention. Me? People like you, you're nice. Thanks. Uh, excuse me, sir. We were wondering... You seek the way to escape from the bottom, to find a way back to the flesh that has burdened you so recently. Well, yeah. Can you help us? No mortal whose karma dooms him to die can return to the world of the living. Oh, no. There's no way at all? No more than a man might leap into the air and never land. That can't be it. We've traveled so far. And you shall travel further still, Flashback. Behold the vast and formless expanse. You shall cross the bridge over it. And then what? Then nothing. You shall not reach the other side. Then why cross it all? I have seen it. It shall be so. Okay. Thank you, Blessed One. Where are you going? To the bridge. But we'll never make it. I know. Don't be stupid, Molly. Why would we go there then? Because it's what happens, Sarah. He's seen what happens, and it's us crossing the bridge. You can be content to wither away at the edge of nowhere, but some of us have faith. And if the last thing I do as Molly is cross the abyss, then that's what I'll do. You're the guy, folks. Let's move. The bridge stretched for miles beyond the horizon in either direction with no visible means of support. As the flashpack crossed, they were silent, grim. Their last trip together was a quiet one. Suddenly, Jimmy pointed excitedly. What's that? It looks like some kind of hole in time. Could it be the future? More like a future. One that might have been if we hadn't, you know. The hole showed a throng of people gathered in the Washington Mall. At one end was a podium on which stood the Supreme Court's Chief Justice. Ladies and gentlemen, President James Thaddeus Kovacs. President? Well, how about that? Real shame. There's another. Sarah, is that you? Through this hole in time, the flashback could see a balcony overlooking a vast country estate. On it sat Sir William and Keene, both much older, holding hands and smiling at one another. Is that a wedding ring on your hand, Sarah? Oh my god. Suddenly, the couple turned toward the house, outran four children impeccably dressed and smiling happily. Children? Sarah, I'm so sorry. So am I. Keen, no! Don't jump! Uh, We need to get back! She's falling toward the hell of dark metal. We need to save her. How? She's falling too fast. Maybe I can whip something up? Till evil ends, till all are free! Look, over there! I'll fight for all eternity! Captain Eternity, the bare-knuckled bastion of bravery, swooped past the flashpack wearing an end-metal wing pack. He dived toward the maw of the hell of dark metal, rapidly closing the gap between him and the falling king. Did he get her? I can't tell, they're too far away. Suddenly, the marvelous man of might was beating back up toward the bridge, keen in his arms. Is she alright, Cap? She passed out during the fall, but besides that, she should be fine. How about the rest of you? We're fine, but what are you doing here? Well, one of the junior Infiniteer signal beacons went off, so I came to investigate. But I thought the living couldn't be contacted from the Bardo. Not by the dead! What do you mean, Max? The Malakirti said that no mortal doomed by karma to die could go back to the world. Then maybe we weren't meant to die yet. Max, you're a genius! Thanks, Molly. I just wish I knew how to get back. I'm afraid that my wing pack can't carry all of you out of here. That's all right, Cap. Thanks for arriving just in time. My pleasure, Max. Now, ever upward! The courageous captain leapt into the air, his wing pack carrying him up and out of sight. Wait, what did Vimalakirti say about leaping? That getting back was as impossible as leaping and never land... 
15. Maybe Sarah wasn't that far off. Are you guys crazy? We could land in the hell of dark metal, drowning in steel for a billion years with no light. Then I guess we just need a little faith, Molly. Grab Keen. The flashback lined up at the edge of the bridge and looked at one another for a long moment. Flashback? Flashback! The kids leapt into the void, plummeting at unheard of speed toward the mouth of the Hell Realm. As they fell, they were surrounded by a bright light and then there was nothingness. Can the pack return to their bodies in the world of the living? Will they return to a world they can save? Are their other comrades even still alive? Find out in the next episode of Epic Echoes, Flashpack Ex Machina. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Tong Wen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Angela Tymon was Guanyin, Patrick Ganan was Vermala Kirti, Elijah Weberhan was the Chief Justice, and Ryan Loranger was Captain Eternity. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Cod Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. Now let's get right to the reader mail because we, so unfortunately, we don't have any reader mail, but I do have to let Scape sing because yeah! that was a very, very, very good song. Um, we don't have any reader mail, so make sure write to us at castandwax at gmail.com. And I guess that just about, oh wait, that just about wraps it up for today. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. I always remember. Yes, uh, that's very true. And goodbye because we're seeing you. Just because it's stupid don't mean. It's not art. episode of Cast and Wax. On guard duty, Mr. Fahrenheit talks heroism. What if the guards saved the world and no one knew about it? Like, what if the only way to make the world a better place was to make it so I was dead or something and no one would ever know about my grievous sacrifice? You wouldn't do it? <laughs> no, why would I? <laughs> On Tractor Fiction, a street gang kidnaps someone. Hey, Ricky, guess how Gomez got named the Butcher? Because he loves to slowly torture his victims until they die. Dude. Butchers don't slowly torture animals. Hey, shut up! Tonight we'll serve your taco supreme, because tomorrow you'll never have to worry about eating again. And on Decker and Hayes, 
Stella gets revenge on a street gang for kidnapping someone. Who's the big man now, Johnny? Who's the real man? Who's so macho? He used to keep a sweet, innocent girl in a room naked and helpless? How are you going to show them you're a real man now, Johnny? Better answer or I'll find something else to cut off. All this and more, coming your way, February 1st, on Waxwork.com.